Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now, grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. I invite you to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 15. Chapter 15, we're going to wrap up chapter 15 today in this study of the letter that changed the world. As Paul wrote this letter to the church at Rome, uh, we believe because of what he says in chapter 16 that he was in Corinth when he wrote this letter. During kind of a break between his missionary journeys, he's completed three of those. We can read about them in the book of Acts. And they came to the place where Paul is planning this next trip to Spain. But before he goes to Spain, he's going to go to Jerusalem and then make his way to Rome. And that's where the story, uh, where Paul is in this passage of Scripture. So really what Paul does in the last half of chapter 15 is he just shares his travel plans. So as we look at Paul's itinerary, I'm praying, okay, Lord, what about Paul's itinerary, about his plans is there for us as a congregation today? And I really am thankful that God showed me five things, or there are five clear things in this passage that we can apply to ourselves as we think about walking and being followers of Christ. So we're going to pick up in the middle of verse 24 there, because we left off at the, the middle of verse 24 as Paul talked about traveling to Spain. He says, for I hope to see you when I pass through and to be assisted by you for my journey there. Once I first enjoyed your company, once I first enjoyed your company for a while. Verse 25, right now I am traveling to Jerusalem to serve the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Significant part of the New Testament about a, a, a Paul's travel has to do with that offering of the saints for the people in Jerusalem. Yes, they were pleased and indeed were in, are indebted to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual benefits, then they are obligated to minister to Jews in material needs. So when I have finished this and safely delivered the funds to them, I will visit you on the way to Spain. Remember, he's writing to the church at Rome. He'll stop by there on his way to Spain. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Now I appeal to you, brothers, through our Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit to join me in fervent prayers to God on my behalf. Pray that I may be rescued from the unbelievers in Judea, that the gift I am bringing to Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, and that, by God's will, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed together with you. The God of peace be with all of you. Amen. Paul's plans to go to Jerusalem, then go to Rome, then go to Spain. Five lessons that we can learn from his itinerary, his agenda. Number one, just like Paul did, I believe we need to anticipate future ministry opportunities. Number one, if you're taking notes, anticipate future ministry opportunities. In verse 24, the last part there, Paul, as he mentions going to Spain, I hope to come and pass through to be assisted by you once I've, tra- once I've been there and enjoyed your company. And then in verse 28, again, he says, when I finish this and I've delivered those funds, I plan on going all the way to Spain. I plan on visiting Spain. He's anxious. He's anticipating not just what's going to happen immediately, but he's looking ahead to future plans. We, just like Paul, 
need to anticipate future ministry opportunities. Two things about Paul that'll help us. First of all, Paul wanted to enlarge his mission field. He wanted to enlarge his mission field. I think we looked at that a little bit last time. Paul had this this passion to go to the places where the gospel had never been preached before. And he's covered Asia Minor. He's covered all of these lands, all of these cities, these urban areas that he's gone to spread the gospel. And he's looking forward to expanding that mission field beyond Rome on into Spain. He's just taking the gospel that way. He wants to enlarge his impact. Sometimes I, I... Kind of cringe when people in church say, well, we don't want our church to grow. We want it to stay the same size it is. And that I know what you're saying because I love I love the fellowship and I love to come together. And I love hearing all of you say you love your church and we're a friendly church. But we can't say it's just us four no more. You know, the the old song, God bless us four no more. That's not what it's about. And I, I like to say, what if what if the church had had that mindset before you came along? What if they had said, we're just good the way we are, we like it the way it is, we really have a great fellowship, we don't need anybody new? What if that had been the mindset of this church before you came along? You would have gone somewhere else. Paul wanted to enlarge his mission field. He wanted to say, it's not just about me, I want to push the boundaries. Now, not just thinking about our church, but I want you to think about your impact, your ministry, to your family, to your community, to your neighbors. Paul wanted to enlarge his. Do you want to do that? I hope so. To move beyond just what you have right now and what God's given you to see him do greater things. The second thing about Paul is he hoped to include the church at Rome as co-laborers, as partners in ministry. Some have said as you listen to Paul's description of his encounter of what he expects to happen in Rome, basically Paul's saying to the church at Rome, I want to move on past you to Spain and I'm hoping you'll help me do it financially. Paul is saying, I'm hoping when I come to you, we'll have some good fellowship. This is Kevin's paraphrase, okay? We'll have some good fellowship. You'll pray for me, and you'll send me on the way, and you'll help finance my trip to Spain. Paul is saying, I want to partner with you. Here's the truth that we've got to remember as we think about anticipating future ministry opportunities. We are in this thing together. Christianity is not a, a solo sport. It is a team sport. You know, we look at the, 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 the heroes of the West and we think about the characters John Wayne portrayed and he did everything by himself and we think about the Lone Ranger. You know, even the Lone Ranger had Tonto, right? We, we need one another. It's not just me and my agenda, my plan. It, it's, it's us. And he wanted to include people in this ministry opportunity. So you might say, well, Paul, that's really not... Not kosher of you to say to the church at Rome, I'm going to come bless you, but I want you to bless me too. Paul is saying, I want you to get in on what God's about to do in Spain. I want you to get in on the ministry opportunities, the mission field that's out there before us. I hope you're looking forward to that, whatever that looks like. I hope you're looking forward and saying, I'm anticipating God doing great things through my church, through our church. I'm looking forward to God doing great things through me, and I want to do it together with others. Looking to the future. You know, one of the the common characteristics that that are are clearly uh, all the way across the board with plateaued and declining churches, one of the common characteristics is they look to the past, and they just celebrate the past. Now, I believe we need to celebrate what God's done. We do that here all the time, looking at what God has, has, has accomplished in and through us. But we don't want to keep talking about the glory days. You know what I found? 
When we look at the glory days, we usually look at them with rose-colored glasses. We just think about the great day we had or the great service we had, and we forget all the struggles that are there. Folks, the glory days are right now. We don't, I can remember uh, taking driver's ed, and um, one of the things they told me is, is don't stare at the rearview mirror. You know, there's a car coming up behind you, and they can tell. The, the instructor says, get your eyes off the rear. Well, he's about to run over me. Look, you glance at the rearview mirror, and you look forward. You look ahead. Right? Isn't that the way you drive? I hope that's the way you drive. However, I know some of you don't ever look at the rearview mirror. You ever get behind one of those people? I'm thinking, I tell Kelly, are they not using their mirror? You know, see, I'm right behind them and I want to get around them. You don't want to drive with your eyes on the rearview mirror. Some of the, one of the characteristics of Facebook, if you do Facebook, is sometimes you'll open it up and it'll show you a picture. This happened five years ago. And you look at that picture that you posted five years ago or whatever a year ago, and, and you think, wow, that was neat. Man, I, I forgot all about that. But you don't stay there. When I see a picture that I posted five years ago or one year ago of a neat event in my life that I shared with the world on Facebook, I, I celebrate that, but then I say, I, I just need to make the most of every day. I need to have some more of those memories, some more of those opportunities, some more of those future things. Listen, folks, Coastal Oaks has had some great days. We've had some great days, but I really believe the best days are ahead. And I don't, I, it's not going to be easy. Our world is not, is not getting any better. Our culture is not getting any more accepting of the gospel. But let me tell you what, they are more and more hungry for truth. Future ministry opportunities, let's anticipate those. Secondly, participate in meeting needs of others. We need to participate in meeting the needs of other believers. This is what Paul is talking about here in verse 25 when he talks about he's going to serve the saints at Jerusalem. And he talks about those Gentile Christians in in verse 27, how they've taken up this offering and they're going to minister to the material needs of the Jews in Jerusalem, participating in meeting the needs of others. Basically, because of a famine, the church in Jerusalem was suffering. They were poor and in poverty. And so these Gentile churches, what an attitude. You know, the Jewish churches were saying, you Gentiles need to conform to the law if we're going to accept you. All that time, the Gentiles are saying, man, thank God for the Jewish church that that has spread the gospel to us, and we want to bless you back. Wow. And they needed it, and they ministered to them in in their poverty. We've done that. God, God calls us to do that. We've gone overseas, we've gone to different countries and we share, we've gone in the, the slums in Thailand, we've gone to the places in the valley where there's needs, we've, we've, we've gone to our own community with some, some homeless kids and homeless families and meet their needs and, and it's not our responsibility to decide whether or not they're worthy of our help. You know, you know the reason most people are poor? They've made dumb choices. They've made some stupid choices. They, maybe at the moment that we go to help them, they're in the midst of a, of a choice like that. We had a knock on our door a few uh, months ago of someone in our area that needed help. And, and a lot of the circumstances that put that person there was because of some choices that were made. But we still helped. You just, you, you bless people. And Paul says, that's what we want to do. We want to meet the needs of others. Let's look at Paul here specifically. He viewed the offerings of, from the churches in Asia Minor, the churches in Macedonia. He viewed their offerings as an expression of love. An expression of love. He says, they were pleased to make this contribution to the church in verse 26. They were pleased to bless the church of Jerusalem, an expression of love. 1 Corinthians 16 describes this offering, but in, in 2 Corinthians 8, 
Listen to a comment that Paul makes about the, uh, those churches there. 2 Corinthians 8, I think just verse 2, just want to highlight. During, this is describing the churches in Macedonia. During a severe testing by affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed into a wealth of generosity. Can I paraphrase that? Paul says those churches were just as poor as the churches they were trying to help. But they saw their taking up an offering. It was most uh, scholars believe it was a spontaneous offering. They said, let's just help. They saw that as an expression of love to the church in Jerusalem. It's interesting, though. Secondly, Paul viewed that offering also as an obligation. Kind of takes you by surprise as you read that. Look at verse, at verse 25 there. Um, actually, it's verse 27. Yes, they were pleased, and indeed, they are indebted to them. He saw this offering of the Gentiles as something of an obligation to support the church in Jerusalem. And that tells me that sometimes in Scripture we need to focus on that. That there is, in essence, he's saying, you have a spiritual debt to those people who share the gospel. Those people who sent Paul out to come to you. You have an obligation spiritually to bless them. And they did. In essence, the Gentiles had been given the word of God and the gospel by a bunch of Jews who really didn't care about them coming into the faith. But because they had shared, because they gave the word, because they sent people like Paul out, they were obligated. I remember reading Teddy Roosevelt's biography and talking about the Roosevelt family and all of their wealth that they had. And he said from from a from an early childhood, it was ingrained in them that to be people of privilege, which the Roosevelts were, to be people of privilege meant that you had responsibilities and obligations to use that wealth to better mankind. These churches saw this sense of obligation to, to, to meet needs of people, to bless people who had shared the gospel with them. There's a Several lessons there, but one is sometimes we give because it's the right thing to do. Paul says, first of all, you give out of a heart of love and gratitude. God loves a cheerful giver. We teach that all the time. But, but also we give because it's the right thing to do. We need to do that. Paul says in this passage, he, he not only anticipated future ministry, but he, he participated in meeting the needs of others. I read about a study of multiple sclerosis patients. 132 patients were brought into this, this study. and formed, They formed two groups of them, and they, they just wanted to see uh, how these people would respond. Some in that group, one group received monthly support from another person with multiple sclerosis, and the other group didn't receive that same kind of support. So they wanted to see which group fared better, which group did better through the study. And they, they, they did all that, but they found a really uh, unexpected result the people in the study that fared best, you know who they were? They were the group of multiple sclerosis patients that they had, that they had trained to go and do, do care and comfort. Not one of the two study groups, but the group that they brought in to give care and comfort. That's the group that grew the most. That's the group that showed the most improvement in their, in their progress. And the, the study even ties some of that serving and meeting needs into some neurological uh, benefit. I don't get all that, but I, I see it. That when you meet the needs of others, you are the one that gets blessed. Number three, Paul did this, so we need to do this. Demonstrate your faith through generosity toward others. Demonstrate your faith through generosity toward others. We're going back to the offering there. 
in verse 27 that we just talked about, meeting the material needs of the Jews. They were, they were indebted to them. They shared benefits. James chapter 2, the Bible says that, that our, 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 our faith will be evidenced by our works. We will demonstrate our faith through being generous. Paul viewed that offering as evidence of a, of a genuine Gentile conversion. Here's what Paul said of these churches. Their willingness to give this offering to help the church of Jerusalem, their willingness to do that is a stamp, it's a mark that they've been born again. That they would even care about a bunch of many people in that church in Jerusalem, legalistic folks. They just demonstrated their faith by how they gave. I love that. Fruit. The Bible's clear, as, as, as Jesus taught in John 15 about bearing fruit. You're, you're going to know them by their fruit. We abide in Christ and we bear fruit. Giving is a part of that. And then Paul, secondly, Paul viewed that offering as an affirmation of his ministry. One scholar said that that offering was so important to Paul that he was, that he was given to take back to Jerusalem. He, that, the one scholar said that was the, the, the seal, a personal seal of approval that God was blessing Paul's ministry because the Gentiles now, get get this, the Gentiles now had not only accepted the gospel, they were living it out. Paul said they they, they demonstrated it by their generosity. Randy Alcorn talks about giving in some of his writings. He's got one uh, book called Where's Your Heart? He says, suppose you buy a share of General Motors. What happens? You suddenly develop an interest in General Motors. You check the financial pages. You see a magazine article about GM and you read every word, even though a month ago you passed right over it. Suppose you're going to help African children with AIDS when you see an article on the subject. You're hooked. If you're sending money to plant churches in India and an earthquake hits India, you watch the news with anticipation. He says, you wish you cared more about eternal things. Then he says, relocate some of your money. Maybe most of your money from the temporal, temporary things to eternal things. He says, put your resources, your assets, your money, your possessions, your time, your talents, your energies into the things of God. Watch what happens. As surely as the compass needle follows north, your heart will follow your treasure. Then he says, money leads, heart follows. Paul said of the Gentile church, their giving was a demonstration of their right heart attitude, a changed life. One of the Biggest indicators in my Christian experience, and I'm not proud of this, but this is it, is, is my, my willingness to want to give when it hurts, when it's difficult, when there's a trial, when, there's a, when, there's, when financially it doesn't make sense. And, and I check my own heart when there's no generosity there. I say, God, forgive me. I want to demonstrate my faith by an attitude of generosity and openness. So we're anticipating future ministry where participating in meeting needs. We're demonstrating our faith. And then number four, Paul communicated his prayer needs. So we need to do that too. Communicate prayer needs. I think this is so interesting. The apostle Paul, superhero of the faith, says to them, I'm anxious about a trip I'm about to take to Jerusalem. He's taken the offering back, but he's anxious about that. Look at verse 30. I appeal to you, brothers, through our Lord Jesus Christ, through the love of the Spirit, to join me in fervent prayers to God on my behalf. I want you to fervently, the word there is struggle in prayer on my behalf. Pray that I'd be rescued from unbelievers in Judea, 
that the gift I bring may be acceptable. Paul is, I believe, there's some anxiety there. And he communicates that with them. One scholar said, for Paul, this is a foreboding trip. A foreboding trip. First of all, Paul is concerned about the reception by the Jerusalem church. We don't have time to read all the passages, but it it unfolds in Acts chapter 20, 21, all through the the chapter 21. In chapter 20, Paul, Paul shares, or Luke shares that about Paul's struggle. He says, I'm not knowing what I will encounter there, except in town after town, the Spirit testifies that in chains and afflict that chains and afflictions are waiting for me. That's Paul's anxiety. He knows that there's going to be difficulty waiting for him. He doesn't even know what the church at Jerusalem is going to say about that offering. So he says, I'm pleading with you, pray for me. And by the way, just as he anticipated, it unfolded. A riot broke out and people wanted to stone him and he was taken prisoner and uh, made his trip to Rome different than the way he thought he would. He was concerned. So he says, pray for me. I have this sense that it's going to be tough. Secondly, he requests that they share his burden. He requests that they share his burden. He says, I, I'm, I'm asking you to join me with fervent prayers. Some translated that, that word to, to have fervent prayers is to agonize together. It's an athletic term. It means to wrestle. He says, this is so serious. I'm asking you to get in this wrestling match with me. As we wrestle against, what does Ephesians 6 say? We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers against spiritual darkness, darkness, against wickedness in high places. Paul says, We're, I'm going into spiritual warfare, and I'm inviting you into that warfare prayer with me. Third thing about this communicating his prayer needs is Paul asked for specific prayer. Specific prayer. Verse 31, he says that he would be rescued from the unbelievers in Jerusalem. Paul? Really? You want to be rescued from persecution? Yeah, because he, you, you know why? It wasn't about him, it was about his, his mission. He's wanting to go to Spain. He's wanting to press the boundaries. Pray for me that I be rescued. Secondly, that his ministry on behalf of the poor would be accepted. And I just mentioned that in verse 31, the offering would be acceptable. And then lastly, that God would permit him to visit Rome so that he could be refreshed. Look at that in verse 33. That I may come to you with joy and be refreshed together with you. Paul communicates his needs and he shares that burden with the congregation there. I've seen YouTube videos of of this and it fascinates me when a community helps move a barn. I, I read about one situation where uh, it was in Bruno, Nebraska, where the flood, the creek waters were rising and this one farmer needed to move his barn. And so they calculated 17,000 pounds of the structure. They calculate how many guys it would take to lift about 50 pounds apiece. So the farmer's son devises this system of running these poles underneath the, the foundation. They lift it up off the foundation, put these poles, and then it's one, two, three, everybody lifts the thing up. And they carry this barn, I don't know, 100 feet or something, over to a little bit higher place. And it's fascinating to watch that happen. They pick up a building with their bare hands, no machinery, and they move it. Not that that's a picture of, of bearing and sharing burdens. Listen, if you try to carry the barn by yourself, you're going to crash and burn. I've been there. I've carried it myself, and I crashed and burned. Share your burden like Paul did. 
Number five, celebrate God's presence and activity. Anticipate future ministry. Participate in meeting needs. Demonstrate your faith through giving. Communicate those prayer needs. But lastly, you can celebrate God's presence and activity. Look at verse 33. It's Paul's wrap-up before he gets real personal in chapter 16. We'll look at that next week. He says, the God of peace be with you all. Here's what I think Paul is doing. I believe he's celebrating God's presence and God's activity among them. He acknowledges God's presence in Rome. The God of peace be with you. God's there, he's at work, and I'm celebrating that. And Paul is affirming that he's changing lives in Rome. And that's chapter 16. We're going to look at everything God was doing in the lives of these folks in Rome. Celebrating God's presence. Pastor Bill White writes this about a community mission opportunity in their area. He says, during a Saturday afternoon community service day, I was walking down a narrow side street in the city of Compton, California, heading towards one of the work sites sponsored by a local church. It was towards the end of the work day, and dozens of yellow-shirted church volunteers, maybe 50 in all, were streaming out of the site, getting ready to head off to lunch. I was six or eight houses away, and I passed a married couple working in their yard, and I paused to compliment the woman on her roses, and she asked me what we were doing down the street. He said, I replied that we represented a band of churches united in our desire to serve the city. We continued chatting about the radical neighborhood and the transformation that was taking place that she'd seen our simple acts of kindness. During my conversation, he says, this woman and her husband had been weed whacking the other side of the front yard. And when she saw my yellow shirt, the volunteer shirt, he turned off his weed whacker and they sat down and they started walking. He sat down, uh, he started walking straight towards me and his wife. He said, I'll never forget his words. After looking into my eyes, he nodded approvingly at all the renovated houses down the street, and he said, I love your heart. Where can I get a heart like yours? See, when we demonstrate our faith, when we actively meet the needs of others, when we look at pushing the gospel beyond our own little inner circle, people are going to say, I like your heart. Where can I get one like that? Meeting needs, sharing burdens. That's what God's called us to do. Let's pray together.